The Digital Salon is a curation of listening experiences produced by the alumni and affiliated members of the Urban Humanities Initiative at UCLA. Even as urban space reinvents the enclosure, season two seeks out collectives situated in the city. If our first season asked how the pandemic is a portal, in our second we asked how, within such a time, can we gather? And what do we share? In this podcast that we call Collective, we tune into the knowledge that communal work transmits in polyvocal frequencies and interlocking scales. We're your hosts. I'm Gus Wendell. And I'm Jacqueline Barrios. And for our 12th and final episode, Dr. Jonathan J.N. Chrisman, Assistant Professor of Public and Applied Humanities at the University of Arizona and a founding faculty of the UCLA Urban Humanities Initiative, composes a sonic exploration of Asian American and diasporic collective identity through a chorus of 16 different voices recorded shortly after the Atlanta shootings of six Asian spa workers. feeling frustrated and overwhelmed because of the attacks that has been happening to our community in the past year. I'm feeling burdened by expectations, external and internal. Anxious about everything that's been going on. Raw in the sense of when you have like a, like a fresh wound. I'm feeling a mixture of sadness, exhaustion, and hope. Anger, hurt, exhaustion. Anger, frustration, and exhaustion. I'm feeling exhausted by the conversation. Right now, I feel like napping all day uh, from a combination of not being able to be indoors with my friends and family, uh, centuries of racism, a year of maskless people reminding me how little people care about one another, uh, violence against people of color, and my bedroom becoming my office. Right now, I'm feeling so many feelings that I want to use the Cantonese phrase, mo hei gong, which means I just don't have the breath to talk about it. If you're not feeling worried, and if you're not feeling scared in this time, then you're feeling complacent. And I would say that that's probably much worse. But I'm also deeply hopeful because of the resilience, beauty, and variegation of the many Asian American and intersectional communities that I get to call home. Right now, despite everything, I'm feeling hopeful. My name is Jonathan Jayon Chrisman. I'm an artist, professor at the University of Arizona, and a biracial Korean-American. My mom immigrated from Korea to the U.S. around 1970, when she was a teenager. And my dad came from a Quaker family in Oregon, so he moved to Central California to do alternative service during the Vietnam War. My parents met there, and then they brought my brother and me into the world, in Fresno, California, in the 1980s. It's nice to meet you.
I identify as a third generation queer Chinese American. Fourth generation Chinese Japanese American, or JABC. 1.5 generation Vietnamese American. First generation Filipino immigrant. And I immigrated from Hong Kong when I was three years old. Born in Singapore, raised in Sabah, Malaysia, and Manila, Philippines, and teenage immigrant to Los Angeles. I was born in Los Angeles, Chinatown, a child in the Midwest, and returned to California as a teen. Born in Cambodia, in a refugee camp, and immigrated here as a baby. Literally, my green card has a picture of me as a baby, and my fingerprint and my signature was waived. There was no expiration date on the card. And so that was my green card up until the time that I um, applied for and gained U.S. citizenship in my mid-20s. My father was a refugee from Vietnam who came to the United States upon the fall of Saigon in 1975. My mother is a white American of mostly German descent whose ancestors settled in Pennsylvania in the 18th century. I found myself in a lot of diasporic Asian organizing spaces over the past couple of years. Collectives of people like myself pursuing community activism, arts, nightlife, or racial justice. The work is always exciting and affirming. There's a sense that we all get each other. We don't need to explain ourselves. But if you dig a little bit deeper, that sense doesn't make sense. It's a miraculous gift to be in community because we are all so different. Few racial categories have such linguistic and cultural diversity, such yawning gaps between socioeconomic status and experience of immigration. The sonic narrative that you are listening to right now is an exploration of this paradox. It is a question that would be impossible to answer alone. So I have enlisted the help of my diasporic family. Hi, Jonathan. Uh, this is my voice recording. Okay. My name is Anne Louie. Hello, my name is John. Hi, my name is Polly Morales. My name is Scott Oshima. My name is Andrew, but my Chinese name is Chuck Ning. My name is Jason Wen. Kevin Lowe. Jacqueline Jean Barrios. My name is Kenny. My name is Louie. Melissa Lowe. Alan Wong. My name is Paulo Campo. My name is Kim Hoi Tong. Everyone at work calls me Kimmy because there is a Kimberly who's already working there and everyone calls her Kim. And so their solution for me was to call me Kimmy. Um, my name is Kim Hoi and I really like that name. I really like spelling it out. I write my name out as Kim Hui on formal emails. Who is the we in diaspora? What happens to the us when our commonality primarily lies in one fact? Our ancestors each began on a journey that pulled them out of a home place and scattered them in foreign lands. I imagine that it is something like the experience of when you were younger, 
your mother waking you up early for school, capsizing you out of sleep, out of your warm bed, into a half-asleep fugue where you cannot remember who you are or where you are. She pushes you away, out the door and onto a strange bus for your own good, as if to tell you that there isn't anyone or anything in this life that can tell you who you are but you. Filipina diasporic person. Identify as a queer Asian man. Pronouns are he, him. Gay, male, he, him. I identify as a gay man. I identify as a queer Chinese American woman. As second generation Chinese American straight cis woman. As a second generation Asian American man of Chinese descent. I also identify as a writer and a community activist. Politically, I identify as an Asian American, the son of a refugee, a living and breathing consequence of American imperialism, and a part of the LGBTQ plus community. I identify as a pizza lover, queer NB, fourth generation Chinese Japanese American, or JABC, and a book hoarder who belongs to LA and Tongva Chumash land. It's kind of weird to have this thought and this, you know, this processing of identity at the age of 37. Um, you know, you kind of think that that stuff gets put to bed once you've graduated from college and you're finished, you know, learning about Asian American identity and, you know, being woke and all this other stuff. But it's, it's a constant evolution of negotiating people's expectations and understanding of who you are. Um, so I guess identify as Kimpoi and I identify as frustrated <laughs> with trying to figure out what to how to how much of my identity and how much of my cultural identity to convey to folks. Um I identify as universal spirit energy that's embodied in the experience of a first generation Asian American man. Regarding our ancestors, maybe they became part of the diaspora many generations ago. Or, perhaps, they only go back a single generation to our parents who took this journey. Or maybe you were the one, you, who entered your lineage into this uncharted territory. Welcome to the diaspora, traveler. There will be those who do not give you welcome, who do not see who you are, who do not understand that it is not you who are the foreigner, the stranger, the alien, but rather them. To give hospitality and to commune are some of the most fundamental things that make us human. And so, to not welcome is not only to deny the humanity of the traveler, but one's own. This is the story of settler colonialism insatiably and mindlessly consuming every last piece of land there is to steal. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world, but lose or forfeit themselves? And what are those who are left in their wake? 
seems like there's a lot of hate that I feel like we've known for a long time, but it's extra alarming nowadays, uh, especially if, you know, uh, these victims of the hate crimes, they, they look like people that I know, my parents, and that makes me worried. Every time I open Instagram stories, there's another new unprovoked attack on the Asian community. It's scary, just like the other day I was walking my dog at night and this guy comes up to me and says, yeah, get out of here, I'ma fuck you up. Um, I don't know if it was a gay thing, an Asian thing, or just a wrong place, wrong time situation, but I feel like with all the new attacks, I'm like extra vigilant and tend to keep my distance from people in general. Uh, uh, this year, I had to decide if hanging Lunar New Year's and uh, Koromo no Hi decorations would make my home a target. And now I carry pepper spray um, wherever I go. We have the right to, to feel anything that we want to feel. We have the right to exist. We have the right to be treated as human beings. Violence against Asian Americans goes beyond this pandemic, and I'm really glad that more of us are now starting to speak up against the violence and bigotry that we've been facing in this country. This includes the subjugation of Asian American lives during periods of war and economic struggle, the model minority myth, the objectification and fetishization of Asian women, cultural stereotypes that cast Asian men as weak, the use of Asian people as a punchline in the media, and the willful mispronunciation and even mocking of Asian names. It's something where I vacillate between saying, hi, I actually go by Kim Hoi, I prefer Kim Hoi. If you could you know, take the time to share that and disseminate this information and use that when you're addressing me in the future, I'd really appreciate it to if you don't say and pronounce and spell my full first name correctly, I will consider it a microaggression. I want the world to know that we will not be used as an excuse to perpetuate state violence and to put more people behind bars. I asked my parents what they thought would make a, a difference um, in, in responding to anti-Asian violence and, and to, to acts of white supremacy. Um, and my dad's uh, my dad's a translator, but his background was working for a civil rights organization in, in San Francisco. Um, and my mom is a, a retired teacher. And they had uh, very characteristic answers. Um, and I think they're right. Um, my mom said uh, education, that we need to kind of grow and change ourselves and learn with each other. Um, and my dad said that he um, wanted to see messages of solidarity between other civil rights and community organizations, um, especially from BIPOC communities, um, and the acts of solidarity that kind of generate those messages. Um, so I hope we can hear them and hear all uh, the Asian elders who have wisdom to share who otherwise um, might not have been heard. The term diaspora comes from the Greek, to scatter about, like seeds waiting to sprout, to grow, to find new roots. The meaning that it has today comes from the Jewish experience, from Moses' warning in Deuteronomy of what would happen should the Israelites disobey God 
that they would be scattered among all the peoples of the earth, that they would serve gods unknown by their ancestors, that they would find no ease, no resting place for the soles of their feet. Some say that to be part of a diaspora is defined by longing for a homeland, even one that is something of a fiction, one that perhaps never existed. But as I see it, that describes just about everyone on the face of this earth. My friends say that maybe, instead, being part of a diaspora means that you learn to make home wherever you are. to know that um, as, a, as an Asian American individual, um, we have the right to freedom. We are here and uh, we're gonna be here. Very, very proudly Cambodian American, um, living in a sea of whiteness here in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, so, you know, very, very different from where I grew up in Stockton, California, in one of the biggest Cambodian American enclaves in the US. To my sisters and mother, my closest others, my fellow Asian women in a darkened America, may we continue eluding that apocalypse of violence. I want the world to know that the model minority myth is a harmful force that reinforces inequalities and distracts from white supremacy and the enduring legacies of European and American imperialism. I want the world to know that dismantling racism, colorism, sexism, homophobia, and classism also means dismantling the systems of capitalism that instill inequalities across scales, homelessness and the housing crisis, a changing climate that disproportionately impacts communities in the global south, and the uneven distribution of wealth, power, and attention on a global scale. But I'm also hopeful because there's a growing conversation about the systems of inequality and oppression that have marked this country for centuries. I'm hopeful because the AAPI community is being seen in the media and also as a political force. And I'm hopeful because activists and organizers are calling for and enacting change in communities across the country. I want the world to know that I've seen that my own journey is tied up with so many others, both those that look like me and those that don't. People are not only learning how deep the roots of anti-Asian violence are, but they're also recognizing how policing, white supremacy, and the carceral system work together to turn communities of color against each other. Now more than ever, we need to be actively anti-racist. It's not enough anymore just to know you're not a racist person. It's gonna take constantly educating yourself, advocacy, action. I want uh, the world to know that uh, this month, April, uh, the micro seasons include swallows return, wild geese fly north, first rainbows, first reeds sprout, last frost, rice seedlings grow, and peonies bloom. When six Asian women were murdered in Atlanta earlier this year, we felt it not as a moment but as a continuation. Who is the we in diaspora? There is no homeland to return to. 
nor is there welcome along our intergenerational journey. All we have is each other. But in this horror can come liberation. We don't have anything to hold on to except for the future. Whether they realized it or not, that is all that our parents carried with them, too. Our gaze can so easily become fixed toward the past. It turns out that, all along, we carry our homeland with us, the future. It's a place that we share together, a sense of belonging, a location where we are exactly who we need to be. I want the world to know that there are new worlds to imagine and much more work to be done. We must shift our focus to support the ingenuity of our youth and retrace the steps of our ancestors. They are ahead of us, and in their wake lie the solutions we've been waiting for. I want the world to know a series of imperatives. Do work, read something, Hold your tongue, refrain from glibness or indulging exhaustion. May we always know other futures. I want the world to know that telling your story can make a difference. Telling your story can change the world, can bring light to dark places, can lift spirits from despair and sadness. We must tell our story. And everyone will have a better sense of self and then from there we can start healing. I really just want the world to know that it's totally okay to not be okay right now for lots of different reasons. It's totally okay to be uncomfortable um, if you're uncomfortable and if you're afraid, uh, that probably means that you're in a time of change and it's only bad if you don't do something to address that lack of comfort and that, you know, fear. I also want the world to know that we as a society and we also as a country can be more than our history. Our experiences mark us, but they don't need to define us. I look forward to fighting for a more just and equitable society with family, friends, the BIPOC and AAPI community, and their co-conspirators. A better world is possible, and that each of us can contribute to it in small ways every day, and we can all do it together. I want to share this learning for a different world and to hope and build it with you too. Hello, Jonathan here. This is a coda to the sonic narrative that you just heard. Since it is part of a season of episodes about the collective, I wanted to reflect a little bit more explicitly about its context and some of the ideas that I was trying to get at. The Atlanta shootings occurred mid-production and so dramatically reshaped plans for the episode. I was and am still ambivalent about how to engage with those events in any kind of public way. 
Even though they are now three months past, it is still a sensitive spot. And needless to say, incidents of anti-Asian violence continue to occur. But it is also something that is impossible to not engage. Out of this double bind came this attempt to use the liberatory and cathartic potential of polyvocality and poetics to grapple with Asianness and Americanness in this moment. The elision of aesthetics and ethics is what allowed some kind of representation to occur. I want to acknowledge, however, that I was the conductor in this orchestra of voices, so the track you heard was perhaps more a product of my voice and will than not. I think that this complexity gets at the fraught potential of collectivity. There is a degree of impossibility within true collectivity. There are always issues of power, ability, contingency, and more, which thwart any kind of perfectly balanced equilibrium. Yet at the same time, there's a sense that we are approaching infinity together, that as we add more and more voices in a spirit of reciprocal generosity, that we are working together toward that mathematical upper limit. This suggests that there is no stopping point. There is always more work to be done. And that is what collective life is. I suspect you heard hints of this future-oriented way of being as a kind of philosophy that surfaces in the episode. Though the producers of Digital Salon have rightly noted that the limits of this philosophy can be found in the very real tragedy of the Atlanta shootings, where people's lives were stolen from them, and thus their futures were stolen as well. Hannah Arendt talks about the idea of natality, that with every new thing comes new possibility, perhaps an idea that takes on a life of its own, or more straightforwardly, in the lives of new children that are born. Are Randy and Eric Park the future that lives on for the deceased Hyunjong Grant, nay Park? It seems to be an answer that is a little too pat for comfort, and so I, I think it's something that still needs to be interrogated further. Or perhaps we need to collectively think more deeply about what exactly family is and how our society supports, or more accurately, fails to support its futurity. I want to return to the idea of collectivity and its relationship to collections. I suppose that the idea I'm trying to work through most is the idea of the we. What binds us together when we are all so different? The world is something that we make together, and so everything comes from some form of collective. The most important collecting we might do actually might just be called relationship building. There is no such thing as a collection made up of a single object. Any decision made alone is probably one not fully thought through. Or perhaps another way of saying all of this is that nothing really is ever made alone. We just forget to give credit. And so I want to give my deepest thanks to my friends Andy, Anne, Howen, Jacqueline, Jason, John, Kenny, Kevin, Kimhoy, Louie, Melissa, Paul, Polly, Savannah, and Scott for sharing their voices with me. Thanks also to all the producers of Digital Salon for inviting me to create this episode and for their insightful and critical feedback along the way. The music in the episode is from the Nanri Bopsok Project music department, made up of Oh Jae Hwan and Lee Hyung Joo, who are part of a larger group of activists. Their music is its own demonstration of collectivity and collections, so I wanted to give it a special shout out. 
It is made up from field recordings from Haje village in Korea and was made as a protest of the takeover of Haje by the U.S. military. You can download their extraordinary album, Village Sea Bass, a collection of memories and sounds from Haje, for free online at nrbsmusic.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening. May you create home for others, and in doing so, create home for yourself. Tune in for the next episode of the Digital Salon Podcast, The Collective. To discover the archive behind this episode, visit our website, digitalsalonpodcast.org.